Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. This is Lips LA. Hey guys, it's Scott Lips, and welcome back to another exciting episode of Lip Service. On today's show, you're going to hear a great conversation I had with Brandon Boyd and Michael Eisinger from Incubus. The guys just released a new EP, Trustfall Side B. The band has been around for almost 30 years. Actually, next year will mark the 30th year anniversary. This is a great record they just released. Very exciting interview, actually. It's the first time I've ever had band members interview each other. So Brandon is actually interviewing Michael and vice versa. We're going to actually get to some fan questions. We got to some fan questions. Um, great guys, great album, really excited. It was a great interview. I think you'll really enjoy it. So coming up in just a moment, the boys in Incubus, Brandon Boyd and Michael Eisenberger. This is Lips LA. Our show today is brought to you by the fine folks at Thursday's Boot Company. You guys have seen me rocking these boots in every other picture I have on Instagram. I'm always repping them. Thursday's Boots is a bootstrap startup that makes the best handcrafted boots and sells them direct to consumer at some of the lowest markups in the footwear industry. Thursday's Boots' tagline is highest quality, honest prices because they use some of the best materials like full grain leather, supple glove leather lining, and gold standard Goodyear welt construction. Thursday's Boot Company sells their boots at prices starting at just $149 with free shipping and returns. They've been featured in all the best fashion press, from Esquire to GQ to Cosmo and Vogue. And more, more importantly, they've gotten over 20,000 five-star reviews from real customers. Thursday's boots are perfect for people who understand quality and don't want to pay a high retail markup for a great-looking pair of boots that are built to last. So check them out at Thursday's Boots on Instagram. My favorite shoes, my favorite boots. You always see me repping them. You'll love it. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Hey guys, well, welcome to the show. I'm very excited about today. We have the boys in Incubus. Hey, howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brandon, uh, as you know, you've been on the show quite a few times, but I'm really excited to have you guys interview each other today and talk about the new record. It's almost 30 years of you guys being together, which is incredible. I definitely want to talk about the new album, how you guys came to write it, obviously Life in Quarantine. The new EP is actually called Trustfall Side B. Side A came out about five years ago. So, um, Mikey and Brandon, I'd love you guys to take it away and get into it. And I'll interject here and there to play a couple tracks from the album. But uh, cool. more or less, this is like the old interview magazine style show where you guys will actually interview each other about what's going on, your life in quarantine, and the album. Take it away, guys. Nice. What's up, Mike? Hi, Brandon. How are you? Where are you? Um, I'm in, uh, in Indiana Jones's, um Cavern of Doom? Temple of Doom, as you can see from the uh, secret. Wait, where is it? The stone. Oh, right. The stone. 
So if I come to your house with a whip and like a, a, a revolver, I should go towards that. That's the thing I'd want to steal. That's the thing you'd want to steal. And that's the thing that if you removed it, yeah. everything would start like the ceiling would start falling and all that. A giant that's, boulder. That's what happens when you corridor. Yeah. That's what happens when you take the, like the one thing that nice. is the most desired thing in the room. <laughs> anyway, where are you? Um, You're outside on, on a, on a deck in a, uh, Wildlife preserve. Right. No, I'm actually in my toilet, but this is one of those cool zoom backgrounds. Ah, I see. They're starting to look very realistic. Sweet. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, it's very relaxing where you are right now. You know, I, I got to say it is pretty relaxing. I, I feel uh, incredibly uh, lucky to be where I am during this whole situation. And I know that you're, in, in good hands, so to speak, as well. Um, I have so many friends that live in New York and people in Chicago and people who, you know, live in apartments in, in big cities where most of the time they live there and sometimes they've chosen to live in those places because the city is like their home and they yeah. get to walk around and experience it like that. It's so, just couldn't be more different right now. It's such a strange time. But um, yeah, I'm stoked that we're able to like, still make music we can't perform live music for people at this moment but we will get there you know i'm hoping that sooner than later we're going to be able to get into the band room and maybe start live streaming i think people would enjoy yeah. that yep that'll be fun yep uh i have a question for you um i wrote down some questions i tried to be like pro <laughs> you, you wanna, nice you want to see pro brandon real quick Yes. So, Mike, we just did that acoustic version of Agoraphobia. And so, boys and girls, uh, Michael and I recorded via sort of uh, MP3 file. Michael did an acoustic version of Agoraphobia, and then I sang the vocal at my house. And um, I'm going to make that available to you guys um, soon, hopefully sooner than later. But um, it made me think about how ambitious and adventurous the musicianship was on that album, A Crow Left to the Murder, which came out in 2003. And uh, it, I started thinking about the, like, the consequences of how ambitious the musicianship was to the point where like, you had to have like, surgery on your <laughs> arm. And well, I was thinking about it because I, I don't think anybody really knows this, but uh, I had my septum corrected in December, right when we came home from tour, like, four days after we came home from the make yourself tour, I went in and I, they put me to sleep and they like rebroke my nose and fixed my septum, which had been really damaged from breaking my nose as a kid. And, uh, this whole time while we've been, while I've been recovering, I've been thinking about you and recovering with your wrist and stuff like that. And I guess I was wondering how it has affected your process over the years of like writing and performing every night and things like that. Well, yeah, I mean, it definitely threw a wrench into my, you know, this was like back in 2000, I think seven, six or seven, sometime around then. So it was quite a while ago now, you know, 13, 14 years ago um, that I, I got carpal tunnel for those who don't know. And um, that's an injury to my, to my left wrist, which is like, you know, the, the hand that I use for, for fretting Magic. notes and, um, yeah, well, there's a very, it, it wasn't so clear to me then, but there's a very clear progression of how it happened, um, yeah. which was basically that in the early days, um, 
I didn't have a, like when we were, when we first started touring, when we first started playing shows, like kind of for real, for real playing shows, I didn't even have a backup guitar. And so, or if I did break a string, like I didn't have like a guitar tech or anybody like that to like help me. Mm-hmm. So if I broke a string during a show, like everything kind of either had to stop or I had to like replace the string while the show was happening. And I didn't want that to happen. So I started playing heavier and heavier and heavier gauge strings until I stopped breaking oh, them. Oh my God, I didn't even think about that, of course. So I, So at one point I was playing like, these really, really heavy gauge strings. Um, and they, and they felt really good too. Like for they sounded heavy, awesome for playing heavier music. It was really cool because like, it just felt like, you know, almost felt like I was playing a bass. My strings were so thick, but like mm. <clears throat> they didn't break, you know, and that was done sort of by necessity. And then at that point, when I got used to that playing anybody else's guitar that had like normal size strings, felt like I was playing a toy. It like felt like rubber bands to me. So I got used to that. I didn't realize how badly I was like damaging my wrist. Mm-hmm. And then over years, I got, I just got used to playing those heavy strings and I kept playing them. So over time, when I did get, you know, endorsements and that type of thing, and you know, as many guitars as I wanted or whatever, and I had techs like setting my equipment up and tuning my guitars and all that. I still kept playing those heavy strings. And then over time, um, it damaged, you know, my wrist and it caught mm-hmm. up with me around 2006 or seven or whenever that was. Yeah. So by that point, um, I, I got to a, pl- a point, I remember we were in Europe and I was like, I literally can't even press down on a, on a fret anymore like i remember that show in germany that we played we were like three quarters of the way through a concert in front of like six thousand people and i looked over at you and you were i remember it was really gnarly you were like hugging the neck of your guitar trying to make a chord and i was like something yeah it sucked (laughs) it was awful and i yeah i felt for you man and it's like anytime i would press down on the strings like it would send a shock through my wrist the way that like yeah. the same way you do, like when you hit your funny bone, like on your elbow and it's yeah. like, Ugh, that's how it felt to like press down. Um, and it so was awful. Crazy. So, yeah. So anyway, I ruined my, my wrist at that time. Um, but it also ended up being like a very productive time for me when I couldn't play, I had to recover, you know, I should have taken a lot longer to recover than we did, but we were kind of like right in the middle of a lot of incubus related stuff. And yeah. everyone was like really itching to get back out. And there was a lot of pressure coming from managers and record labels and yeah. stuff like that at the time. Um, so I definitely started playing and touring again way too early, but mm. I did, you know, take some time to recover, you know, a few months. And during that time, you know, is when I like, I started playing piano more during that time. I started learning more about music and, like mm. it was an interesting time where I just sort of widened what I was doing and, and, and changed it a bit. And it was, uh, it was quite fun. Cause it like sort of took a, a negative situation and turned it into something positive. And that's actually, it's actually a really good point. You know, there's, there's always going to be, I guess for lack of a better term, like collateral damage around things that we do. But in this sense, like this is something that we love to do and that we pursue and pursued as a kind of uh, a life, you know, we pursued music as a life. And there are so many things that 
are, you know, in retrospect, they're like kind of small things, but over <laughs> the long haul, they end up becoming these things, like these little, like not, they knock us in different directions, you know, unforeseen circumstances will knock us off into certain directions. And I think that one of the things we can take away from it, and this quarantine situation, this, this coronavirus, coronavirus situation is one of those situations where it is a big deal, but I think that there are some potentially positive things that can result of it in everybody individually focusing on the things that we individually can control because it's this huge thing happening that is seemingly out of our control and everyone's kind of panicking about it. Like, what are we going to do? And when's things going to return to normal, blah, blah, blah. But it's a good lesson in like slowing down a little bit and just saying, okay, what can I myself control here? So like in your situation, you're like, can't play guitar. I'm going to study music a little bit, you know? And it did like some really interesting fruit was born out of that period of time for our band, you know? At least yeah. I, I remember it as such. It was, I remember being hard because we were worried about you and everything, but. Uh, yeah. Well, and you know, over time, my, at least as far as like my wrist is concerned, it's like, you know, it pretty much went back to normal after it just took, a, you know, probably a year or two. Um, and, um, you know, it's to the, it got to the point, you know, relatively quickly where it just wasn't really like stopped really figuring into like my process and, you know, like I just yeah. sort of like forgot about it at, at a certain point. So, well, long story short, the version of agoraphobia that sparked this card, part of the conversation sounds really cool. I'm really stoked that we did it. And it seems like a weirdly appropriate song. Right now, yeah, so. I was listening to it right before we did it. I remember texting you and being like, saying like, this the 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 lyrics to the song are like frightening, frighteningly relevant right now. You know, <laughs> listening to it and being like, wow, this yeah. is a what a crazy time this is right now, and yeah. uh, you know. I, so I'm hopeful strange. that that you know things will return to. I mean, normal is a, a relative term. Um, mm. I don't think it'll ever go back to the way that it was because how can it? You know, like yeah, we're gonna we're we're gonna carry this experience with us moving forward, and and everything, not everything, but lots of things. I think will just be seen differently. Mm. Pandemics have a tendency to shift uh, global directionality. Um, I was reading about the 1918 Spanish flu and it was, you know, orders of magnitude worse than this. Granted, we didn't have a lot of the same technologies and information that we had today back then. So of course it was going to be worse, but this will undoubtedly shift the way that earthlings operate. I think that another interesting takeaway might be um, personal hygiene and personal responsibility, I think, which I'm actually really happy about. You know, when we travel as a band, we travel, we go all over the world to play concerts. And um, I'm very much hoping that the world returns to uh, a, a some semblance of normal in the sense that we are still able to do that. But something that I have always noticed when we, especially when we'd go through Asia and like Southeast Asia, and through airports and out in public, like half the people you see were wearing masks. This was like yeah. for as long as we've been traveling. And it's a little bit shocking at first because you're like, why is everybody covering their faces? But 
it just culturally there isn't as much of a stigma attached to wearing a mask like here in america or in europe you know like five years ago if you saw somebody wearing a mask at a party you'd be like what's wrong with the homeboy you know (laughs) (laughs) he's been watching those michael jackson videos like what's going on um but now i think it's actually a really good thing that the stigma has been officially broken here so if you're not feeling good even when we're past this like just mask up maybe don't go out you know yeah my first experience going to the store and really like putting on a mask and wearing gloves like I, I you know and at the time that I the first time I did that was early like like between the first and second week of March mm-hmm. um, my wife Anne Marie was like very sort of she was very conservative about this whole thing and kind of foresaw a lot of it before I did. Yeah. And she was like very insistent. Like when you go to the store, you need to wear a mask and gloves and people weren't doing that yet. And she has a background in chemistry and, and biology. Right. So she has yeah. an understanding and of how microbes work. <laughs> she knew she, she, she just, she, she, she was really closely tracking what had been going on in China, like yeah. all the way back in like December and January, she was talking about it and, and so um, I put on a mask and put on gloves and went to the store and I felt really self-conscious about it because no one else was wearing it. Yeah. And like, that was only a few weeks. It was a month ago, you know, like yeah. the whole world is different now. <laughs> the whole, you know, the, the, everyone has to wear those things now. You have to wear gloves, but you, you have to wear a mask. And, Unless you're the vice president. <laughs> I, I, I don't even, I don't even have work. Like, 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 you know, the guy gets up there and says, well, I know I don't have it. It's like, well, you knew that you didn't have it at the exact moment that you took that test, but you don't know that you didn't have it five minutes later, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's the, you know, the scariest thing about this whole ordeal is that, you know, the deadliest diseases like Ebola, for example, like the, the symptoms are so extreme that it's really easy to tell who has these diseases. And when you can tell who has them, they're much easier to contain. But this one, you know, a lot of people are not even symptomatic or their symptoms are very um, hard to tell or hard to see so hard Mm. to know that the people who have it don't even know that they have it necessarily. So those are the, those are the diseases that spread like, really spread and that's what's been happening with this and Mm. and the stupidity like of certain governmental leadership is like astonishing to me like it's just like it's almost a virus in and of itself it's yeah stupidity it's it's a pandemic of its own (laughs) it really is fucking insane like it's uh, i don't know why i'm laughing i think that's my only like response when when there are things that are so beyond comprehension i just i'm i start to chuckle a little bit because you know we've been saying this forever as long as you know we've been paying attention to human behavior it's like that that's truly the most anomalous unpredictable thing is human behavior like this whole situation was uh it was not only predictable it was predicted you know People, well in advance. Yeah, we've known that this was highly possible. We've known, you know, how to prevent transmission of, you know, obviously this is a new, it's a, it's a novel virus and it's going to behave a little bit differently, but for the most part, yeah, 
anyway, let's talk about music. I was going to say, guys, your new record, by the way, sorry to interject, but it's fantastic. And uh, Thanks, the, the first, yeah, the first single you guys released is called Into the Summer. How appropriate, because I feel like we may not even have a proper summer now. <laughs> I don't even know what summer is going to be at this point, but I'd love to jump I'm to not that song. Into the summer. Yeah, right. I'd love to just talk about for a moment how you guys wrote that song. We'll play the song and we'll be back with you guys interviewing each other. So how did you guys, uh, how did you guys come up with that song, by the way? So, so the, uh, the sort of main uh, pieces of the song of Into the Summer came together quite a long time ago uh, while we were um, writing songs for Trust Fall Side A. And it was mm-hmm. like a sort of a, just an idea that we were kicking around a little bit. And at that, back at that time, we kind of like, put together a bunch of different musical ideas, but didn't really turn all of them into songs. Like we only turned a few of them into songs. And that was one that I think we always liked, but just sort of didn't really know what to do with. Um, or it just, there. it's not that we didn't know what to do with it. Just there were other songs that I think were more captivating to us or more pieces of music, at least for me, that, that, that kind of came together. You know, anytime we write a song, uh, there's a, an element of, of, you know, there's an organic way that it comes together. There's like a flow that we achieve. And if it's too burdensome, um, it's, it just doesn't come together. And so I think that like with that one, at that time, it just didn't come together in the way that maybe some of the others did. But then later on, more recently, when we started kind of like, you know, playing musical telephone the way that we do when we start working on songs that one kind of came back into our into our you know into our point of view and and just became a song you know and it was interesting because it's such a weird piece of music and it was fun to to it was really fun to hear lyrics and melodies starting to like kind of weave their way into this thing that had existed for such a long time and become something totally new and different well, I think it I takes on a whole new meaning with what's going yeah. on now, but uh, we'll be back in just a moment. We have a ton of fan questions for you guys. I'm sure you guys saw there was an overwhelming amount of responses to this new record and uh, just the process. So we'll be back in just a moment and talk about the new record a bit more with Michael and Brandon. This is Lips LA. And we're back. So, uh, so guys, let's get into the new record and, and just, uh, I guess we can talk about some more tracks on the record. My favorite track on the record is Karma Come Back. I've been playing that a constant repeat in my car. Um, nice. I guess if you guys want to just talk about the process and maybe answer some of the questions that the fans were so eager to ask about the record, the process, you know, your life in quarantine, we'll get to that, obviously. And how is this going to affect the way as a band that you, you know, get together, how you perform, how you market the record? There's so much uncertainty in the future. It'd be great to know like your thoughts on moving forward with the, with the band and the record. Yeah. Um, thank you, by the way, for listening to the record, Scott. And thank you, everyone listening, for listening to the record. And we are, um, we are an independent band again after quite a long time. We started our career as an independent band. We put out a record called Fungus Among Us. I think we printed like a thousand copies. And uh, we sold a thousand copies after doing a bunch of concert, little, you know, bar gigs and stuff like that. And 
but we spent the majority of our career um, signed to major record labels, which was very fruitful for, for us. And it was um, very educational as well. But we came into this, uh, this new period of our, of our career um, questioning whether or not um, being signed to a major label was going to be the right thing for us. And we concluded that um, we were going to give it a go independently. So um, it's been really fun so far. So, um, but we, you know, it, we also don't have those limitless resources that record labels have, those seemingly limitless resources record labels have. So if you guys like it, uh, share it. Say, hey, have you heard this new Think You This stuff? It's good. Check it out, man. Check it out, dude, bro. It's cool. Uh, but what was the question? <laughs> Karma come back. Yeah, we're talking I'm just about. talking about the process, the record. And by the way, congratulations, because right. the record about two weeks ago was number one on the Rock Trots and iTunes, which is an incredible feat with what's going on now in music. So mm. kudos to you guys for having the number one record on rock on the Rock Charts. So. Thanks, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, with that in particular, that song, Karma Come Back, it started with as many of our songs start, but it was much heavier, like all the way through. It was more kind of, I suppose, a traditional incubus rock song. And um, a lot of the melodies that you hear emerged around that. And then we, we tried on a bunch of different, you know, outfits for the song, so to speak. And, you know, we like to, um, we like to kind of run the spectrum as far as ways a song can be presented when we're in the band room together. So with this song, we, we landed on starting it with a little bit more of like a, we slowed it down, we scaled it back and we made it a little bit more kind of like ominous sounding, like it was creeping up on you and kept the melody and something kind of, kind of interesting happened. I don't know, can you speak to that at all, Mike? Um, I mean, it, it, the thing that I can say about it is, is that it, you know, that, like I said earlier, there's like this state of flow that we kind of get into when we mm -hmm. when something's working and that was one of those songs that just came together in that way like mm. everything fit together um and it was one of those you know we've written many songs like this and i guess you know when did we write that song when when was that put together was that 2019 i think it was in 2019 it was before we went on uh the 20 years of make yourself tour yeah i mean we've done so it's like we've written so many songs at this point and recorded so many songs that sometimes it's difficult to keep track of like when mm. they happen because now yeah. more than ever you know we used to like record albums and and it was always done in like a very um focused concerted period of time where like morning view for example was written and recorded during a period of about four months the entire record was conceived of, written, and recorded during that period mm. of time. Make Yourself was similar, and so was Crow. And it was like during, you know, and, and music was consumed that way as well. It was like, it wasn't just, I mean, it was a, a two-way street as far as that was concerned. But now, in today's world, um, it's sort of a rolling basis. Like, you know, music is coming out constantly, and it's not, um, and we don't, make music the same way that we used to i think the world has just changed a lot like we could do it that way but it's harder and harder it becomes harder and harder to do it that way um but in today's world like we're constantly kind of writing and then just releasing things as they 
even with the trust fall side B, like we released into the summer before a lot of the other songs were even finished, you know? So yeah. it's like it, yeah. It, before yeah. they were finished. <laughs> exactly. So, so, so it's like these songs, like, you know, we're finishing some, we're starting others, we're, we're, you know, recording some while we're writing others, like it all, the, the, the process just kind of endlessly sort of bleeds into whatever came before it and whatever mm. comes after it. So it's, it, it's, it's very amorphous now. It's not like so well yeah. defined. And, um, and so that song Karma Come Back was like amidst sort of a period of where things were just sort of fitting together. And, um, and I just remember, um, you know, once we, once we kind of had the pieces of that song together, it kind of felt like, oh, like there are going to be others too, you know, like mm. sometimes we write songs in isolation where it's like just a song, like Into the Summer sort of felt like that actually, like that song was kind of a, its own project, mm. but, um, and I don't know if what I'm saying right now makes any sense at all, but, um, but Karma Comeback was like part of a, a of a, a small group of songs that we were trying to write and record and finish while we were on the road. Um, and um, along with uh, On Without You, that was a- Oh yeah, On Without Me happened. On Without we actually, Me, sorry. We recorded that song. We were, we were writing that song while we were on the 20 years of Make Yourself Tour. We, every sound check, we would show up a little bit early and just get on stage and chip away at that track. And then uh, I was like fine tuning the lyrics, but I, I had a really good sense of what the melodies wanted to be in that song. Um, and then speaking to that, that flow state that Michael was referring to, and as it, as it um, pertains to our songwriting, I've learned over the years that I can, my, me, myself, I can be either a, uh, a, participant and a co-conspirator in that flow process or I can also end up being uh, unwittingly like a, a barrier to it in that I will um, with all of my best intentions show up as, a, as a, a singer and a lyricist and like like what's happening for instance with Into the Summer when we first started writing it in like 2014 the, some of the music for like the what became the verses and kind of that that lead guitar riff and I really liked it but it didn't, I couldn't get into that flow thing with it. And so we, we ended up agreeing like, this is a cool idea, but we like shelved it for a period of time and we almost kind of forgot about it. And then uh, it came up, I was looking for something else in my, in my treasure trove of uh, band demos, MP3s that I have. And it popped back up and I pushed play and I was like, oh yeah, I remember this one. And all it took was to hear it with fresh ears, like four or five years later. <laughs> And all of a sudden, all these melodies and all this whole lyric just came spilling out. And I th Mikey, I think I asked you to change like one note in the chorus. And then all of a sudden the song just like, like I was able to show up in the flow with the guys. And so um, it's songwriting and it's such a kind of, Michael was saying, it's a very nebulous process. It's a very, um, it's like swimming in some, you know, nonlinear soup. You're just kind of swimming around and you're pulling imagery and you're pulling sounds and things all together and then mushing them together and then showing each other like, what about this soup? Do you like this soup? And sometimes it's like amazing. Cooking, 
Yeah, it's like cooking. <laughs> exactly. In terms of this record, in terms of where the, the future of the business is going, I mean, I feel like, and, and a bunch of the people that wrote in had written things like, how do you see the music industry and your band evolving over the next couple of years with everything going on? So obviously we're in a, in a very undetermined time of uh, what's happening in culture. I think hmm. talking about live music, maybe fall 2021 at this point, you know, a yeah. lot of bands are taking to things like Instagram and, you know, they're doing, you know, uh, live concerts. The Post Malone thing from his house is actually fairly cool. Um, yeah. And everyone's sort of evolving and changing. So what do you think in terms of you guys and, and yourself and Mikey in terms of like, where do you see the band evolving over the next couple of years with everything going on? That's actually uh, one of the fan questions too, which I really like. Hmm. The short answer is uh, we don't really know because we don't know. The landscape is still sort of unfolding before us. And I think it would be premature to um, hang our hat definitively on any one methodology you know what i mean i think that it would it makes sense for us to remain in that once again in a kind of uh in a liminal state in a kind of in-between state um but be very ready as musicians and as artists to uh, adapt and i think that's something that we're actually good at as a band um we have a preferred methodology um, which people have been observing and hopefully enjoying over the past almost 30 years. And that methodology is we write music and we record it and we put it out and then we go on tour and we show up and we sing and play our hearts out and people show up and they sing their hearts out with us and they dance ecstatically. And that's an amazing thing. That's something to me that could never really uh, get yeah. old. He's back. Um, but as far as the current situation um you're right I, I i don't see any concerts happening in the short term live concerts it seems like the last place that anybody in their right mind would go which sucks but that's just the the reality that we're faced with today taking care of our, our ourselves and our our immediate families around us um doing little things that we can to try and be of service to our community um for instance we just did this campaign with the launch of Trust Fall Side B last week, and we were able to raise uh, a big old pile of cash for a charity called No Kid Hungry, which um, it basically buys meals for uh, underserved kids in areas where these kids, their main source of food was like public school. You know, a lot of kids are finding all of their meals, sometimes three meals a day at school. And so, you know, we're doing what we can as a, a creative outfit to be of service like that as well. Um, but as far as playing and writing music and stuff like that, what we're focusing on right now is uh, maybe breaking our very tight quarantine that we've had. And in the next, in the coming weeks, like actually getting together in the band room and writing and maybe live streaming from the band room and doing some concerts from there. I, I personally would love to do that. I think the guys and everybody in the band would also love to do that. If only just to like get our fucking wiggles out a little bit. Like we've all been cooked <laughs> up at home for so long. Um, I think it would be really enjoyable for, for people who enjoy our band to, to, you know, see us in a room together doing the thing. Um, so that's in the immediate, the long term, we're just going to try and be as adaptable 
as we know how to be. And, you know, this is, fortunately, this is the stuff that human beings are the best at. Like, uh, what's the old saying? Uh, necessity is the mother of invention. Yeah. This yeah. is how good things happen. You know, there are good things emerge out of bad circumstances. We just need to have a frame of mind that allows us to look for the good things. So we'll be back in just a moment and actually be great. Brandon, if you could ask Mikey some of those fan questions or vice versa. Just sure. Great questions there. So we'll be back in a moment. Lips LA. And we're, and we're back, guys. We're back with Brandon and Mikey. Let's talk about some of the fan questions and, and get into it. There's some great questions there. All right, cool. Brandon Boyd. See. What's one thing that you are doing to relieve stress during quarantine? This question was asked by Casey Simmons. Mm. Besides furiously masturbating multiple times a day. <laughs> I was trying to get you to spit your coffee off. <laughs> All right, you you uh, you succeeded. <laughs> Let's just assume you succeeded. Um, I have been, Michael. You, you'll be uh, maybe you'll be warmed to hear this. I've really been like, I don't know any other way to put it. I've been like bonding with my guitar. I have a like a late fifties Gibson Parlor acoustic. You know that one that I've had for years. Mm-hmm. Been like bonding with it. I sit down with it every day for like hours and. Uh, learning lots of people's songs that I've always liked and really figuring out how many songs are written with the same like four and five chords. It's pretty incredible actually. And so I've been learning some of these songs well enough that I've done like little crappy recordings of them at my house. <laughs> I'll send you a couple today. I, I've um, been having a lot of fun with it. Um, hey, there's always a, and a new way to discover music. That's the great yeah. thing about it is that it's endless and you can literally do that for the rest of your life. It's so much fun. It actually, it, and I've always known this too. It's one of the reasons why I'm continually fascinated by music, both listening to it, but also attempting to make it is that it feels like it's tickling your brain and your spirit at the same time. Like there's something in my brain that's like, yes, in this. Right. <laughs> now your turn. What about you? You were telling me the other day that you were like, I was going to say, what are you doing to, uh, relieve the, the stress of quarantine. You were talking about like a perfecting a pad thai recipe the other day. Yeah. Um, so as part of the, the sort of stocking up on, on, you know, food and, and, you know, we try not to go to the store ever if we don't have to. Um, and Anne Marie, my wife, she accidentally ordered like a case of like 12 packages of pad thai noodles. So we were like, all right, well, we have to eat, eat these now because we ordered all these noodles um, and I started, I think I'm on like the seventh or eighth time I've made it now. Yeah. <laughs> and awesome. number one, I love Pad Thai um, and I've gotten really good at, at making it. And, um, and I want to taste it. And it's, it's like, and you'll, you'll appreciate this, Brandon. Actually, there's a, there's a meal that, that we eat a lot while we're on tour. Um, yeah. It's just like greens, like, you know, either kale or spinach um, sauteed with like, you know, olive oil, maybe a little bit of garlic, um, some brown rice and maybe some ground turkey or, or some type of protein. Yeah. And so I, I just like, I always love eating that also. So I've, I've figured out how to cr- recreate that exactly the way that we do it on tour. Making me hungry. 
Yeah, like it's really good. Like I'll eat that meal every day, every I'll meal, eat that every, every day too. That sounds and so, so delicious. I, like I, I kept seeing your like, like, you know, um, like I would see it being, you know, brought to you every day, and I would be like, uh, I want to eat that. <laughs> right. It's good, right? It's just yeah. so simple. It's just like simple, fancy caveman food. Yeah, I know how to. I know how to make it now exactly like to the T, exactly the way that. Uh, that we eat it on the road. So, hey, that's awesome. I can, I can, I can whip it up for us while we're on the road next time. That would be rad. Okay, I got a question. Uh, someone's asking, tell us about the process of recording the song "Paper Cuts" together. That's from Mary Acosta, eighty-seven. Hi, Mary Acosta. So, um, Brandon, you and I were spending time in this little house in Venice. It was like in the middle of the street. It's like, I remember I always used to think of the song Our House in the middle of our street because it was a mm-hmm. house literally in the middle of the street. Like it mm-hmm. was on like a little island in the middle of the street. And it was this weird sort of funky house that must, when do you think that house was built? It was one of the early Venice uh, bungalows, they call them. So it probably would have been sometime between the 20s and the 40s. It was, the house was so old. It was like crooked. The floors were yeah. crooked. The walls were sideways. It was, it was just dripping with personality and probably lots of mold too, but yeah, continue. It was built like in sections. And so like each section was like a different level than the other. And, but there was this little old beat up, like upright piano, um, you know, against one of the walls and we would go in there and write music. And a lot of times, you know, I'd bring an acoustic guitar or whatever, but then um i had written this you know just set of chords on the piano and we decided to record uh you know we do this all the time when we're writing um you know we make little voice notes on our with our cell phones with our iphones and um in this particular case with paper cuts um that recording is actually in that rickety old house with that crappy little piano um Mm -hmm. You know, it just sounded good and it had like a cool, you know, set of characteristics. And, you know, I believe that, and Brandon, correct me if I'm wrong, you just, that was you just, you know, recording your ideas on top of the piano that we recorded that day. And, yeah, you know, it, it ended up being really cool. And, um, and, you know, we decided to release it because it was like, something that we didn't necessarily think we like sometimes we would take that and then turn it into an incubus song in the more traditional sense like add scale it up yeah yeah, like bass drums and keyboards and you know make a bigger production out of it but that just seemed like it didn't really need anything else right and we've written several songs like that in the past um and some of those are some of my favorites actually like they're the most intimate they're the most personal Mm. so um yeah i i love i love that we put that song out and i love that you connected with it the way that you did on that note uh which are your favorite yeah. incubus songs our our favorite incubus songs Ooh. yeah i mean that's so, that's another fan scott, question, i'm sure you can attest question. to this uh, scott i'm sure you can attest to this uh when people would ask you like what your favorite stuff of your own work is and if you ask most artists it's usually what they just wrote or what they're writing currently. <laughs> so my answer to that question today is um, a song that's actually on the EP. It's called On Without Me. Um, it was the last track that we wrote for this record. And um, 
I was talking about it a little bit earlier, but we wrote it uh, while we were on tour this past fall for the 20 years of Make Yourself Tour. We would just show up every day at Soundcheck and we would plug in and we would chip away at the song. And it gave me uh, an unusual opportunity to hear the song at volume every day for like two months before I truly made up my mind about what I wanted to do with it lyrically and melodically. Um, so I had a pretty strong idea of what I wanted to do melodically with it. And then the lyrics were being, lyrics and little bits of the melody were being honed over the course of a couple of months. So we came home and uh, laid that track down and it was the last one we recorded. And um, that one's my favorite for today. Awesome, Mikey, what's your favorite Incubus songs? You know, those are, this is the hardest question. Um, and that's the most stereotypical answer. Yeah. yeah. I think a musician or any artist would give, oh, it's such a hard question. But I'm actually going to say that, like, I agree with what Brandon said, but I've also kind of, in a certain way, from a certain perspective, had a bit of a change of heart in terms of, like, my, like, whatever we're doing now being, like, my, the favorite thing. Like, if you would have asked me this question 10 years ago, I would have said that exactly. But I think the older that I get, and the more distance and time that comes between like the earlier albums and recordings that we made as a band and also just the history of the band as we get further and further into our career and mm. further and further into aging. Um, I, I become, I think more, number one, just more appreciative and also like continually uh, astonished at what we were able to write and record and how we were able to connect with people because it's really hard to do that. You know, there's so much noise in the world. There's so much, there's just so much of everything. Good mm. things, bad things, whatever, blah, blah, blah things. Like there's just so much of everything. And to like actually find your own little space in there to connect with people is like a rare, uh, beautiful thing. And so I think that the question of what my favorite Incubus song, it's like it now kind of becomes more intertwined with, instead of just being like my, my like opinion about that, like I'm also thinking about what it means to, um, like what music means to the people who listen to it. Like that figures mm -hmm. into it too for yeah. me. So um, I don't know. Um, like, I think maybe I could pick something really old that is like meaningful and then also something new. Like, I like Paper Cuts is not new at all, but it's a song on this group of songs that I like really admire. Like, I, I really admire that song because of how, how vulnerable it is. It's like this little thing that, you know, like it stands on its own, but it's like a, it's, it's fragile, you know? And then, um, mm. you know, I'll just go ahead and say like the whole album of uh, Morning View was like something that shouldn't have worked. Like a bunch of young kids, you know, renting a huge house and totally defying like the record label and all the people that we worked with, our manager, everybody at the time was like, that's a bad idea. Don't do that. But we did it anyway. And it was actually like the most like, one of the, mo the most important records to the people who love our music. It was our most successful record as far as like the sales part is concerned, but 
that record really connected with people and um and i'm proud of that so anyway sorry that's well a long-winded long -winded answer but yeah. mikey do you remember when we finished morning view uh we we joked about so much during the process we joked how the record label and our management at the time was like this is a bad idea bucking off for four months and going surfing and getting stoned and you know they didn't think we were gonna get anything done and we turned in the record early <laughs> yeah, it's a true story yeah <laughs> we're like take this <laughs> we had we actually rented that place for six months and we had six months to get the song to, to get the album done and we did it in four months and so it was like one of these things where, um, where, you know, again, you know, it, we, yeah, <laughs> ahead of, ahead of schedule and below and, and below budget. I don't know about mm. the below budget part, actually. Well, congratulations we guys right. on nearly 30 years together. Next year is going to be your 30th year together. I believe any special plans, like, is there going to be a live stream concert we should know about or anything you've been thinking about that far ahead in advance? I mean, I think all of us are super excited about the idea of, you know, playing Morning View because it's such a fun album to play. Um, It'll it be 20 year anniversary of Morning View in 2021. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's really an example of us kind of like, I think finding our feet as a band, like really in a, in a profound way. So, um, you know, we'd love to be able to do all kinds of stuff, but we'll see what the world allows us to do. Mm. that's awesome well listen it's an incredible record trust fall side b everyone go out check out the record definitely check out all the live stream and stuff that you guys have going on this is so fun i mean i think i should do this more often i love the band on band interview that way you don't have to hear my voice and it's only you guys. <laughs> it's great um anything else we should talk about the the charity brandon you want to mention that just in closing if people want to donate money to it oh sure sure yeah so we've had um the Make Yourself Foundation, which is our band's nonprofit. We've had it since 2003. And uh, most of our hardcore listeners out there are well aware of it, as um, so many of you have made, you know, incredible donations of both money and uh, time to this nonprofit. And so what we do is we, uh, we fundraise and then we do grants to um, other nonprofits. So anybody's interested they can go to makeyourselffoundation.org awesome well this is such a pleasure guys so much fun i really appreciate you guys coming on brandon it's great to see you as always i hope Good when this you, is man. all over we'll get to hang out because either i'm seeing you in passing like i did last time for like 30 seconds or now it's over zoom which isn't really as personal we're, we're better right. friends than that so we'll definitely uh, i'm excited <laughs> for this to all be behind us and i'm excited for this year for you guys next year and everything going on congratulations on the number one record and such an awesome record. Mikey, Brandon, great to see you guys. Likewise, Scott. man. Thanks for having us. All right, guys. Be well, and I'll speak to you soon. And, and pick up Trustfall Side B. All right, guys. See you soon. Bye, Later, Scott. Bye, Mike. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye, Brandon. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. do y'all i'm uncle drank star of the ballad of uncle drank it is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me fictional golf and western country music pioneer uncle drank the series also stars luke wilson brian kelly chelsea lynn kinky friedman and billy zane as a talking blender named blendy 
You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.